Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for, uh, as Frank described it just as we started talking, a little bit of afternoon delight. It is, what time is it? It's 5 p.m. Central. I have never in my life spoke to Frank this early. The only time I could compare this to would be Christmas Day, obviously. The, uh, the noon disaster that we had uh, in Philadelphia last year. But uh, this is this is a rare treat. I am fired up. I've got a little extra energy. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I kind of decide, all right, I'm, I'm kind of done for the day work-wise. And uh, my, my mother-in-law just, just got to our house. She's here for uh, uh, Thanksgiving tomorrow. And so she'll, she is like my... Um, my daughter's, you know, favorite, my, my mom and my wife's mom are like, you know, my daughter's favorite human being in the world. Um, so whenever they're around, my daughter does not care about me at all. So, uh, so yeah, so I just figured, Hey, you know what? Um, we, we, we kind of picked up the pieces a little bit on Sunday talking about the buck signings. Um, we've had a couple days of, of distance and, you know, some of the numbers coming out a little bit, not, nothing dramatically changing. Um, I think Giannis is probably, Giannis is not back yet. Um, it sounds like he's probably maybe another couple of days from being back in the U S and, um, I don't think, uh, I don't think anything imminent is going to happen with Giannis overnight, you know, so it'll probably be weekend or early next week, earliest before we hear anything about Giannis's future. So yeah, I just figured we could get together and, you know, we could probably talk for quite some time about the signings and what they mean, but yeah, I just figured maybe we could just kind of. I was I was pretty scattered when I was giving thoughts on those guys and on all the different moves on Sunday because everything was sort of happening in real time. But I figured we could maybe just sort of cruise through each of the moves and talk a little bit about what it means and and speculate a little bit about what that might mean for rotations and you know whether the Bucks are are as uh, are better or, or not or how the Bucks are better and how much maybe they they uh, maybe made some sacrifices in some respects uh, based on the the offseason so far. Yeah, no doubt. It's been interesting over the last 24 hours. Finally, finally, we've started to get some official signings come through. And there's still a couple, obviously, that we're going to see over the next few days here. But uh, given the week the Bucks had, it's nice to see the Drew Holiday trade officially go through. So we may as well start there. Because I think it's been really interesting to see, uh, I guess, the outside perspective. And I have tried to listen to a bunch of different podcasts, national podcasts, to get just a bit of a feel for how people are assessing this uh, Bucks free agency offseason period. And, and I think it's still to this point is very difficult for people to talk about the Bucks without uh, comparing them to what they would have been with Bogdan Bogdanovich, which I get, I understand. I understand that that's going to be the case and that's how people are going to compare them. But uh, I, I still think the addition of Drew Holiday in itself and what he can bring and hopefully the consistency that he would bring in the playoffs. And let's be honest, you don't need a lot from him offensively. Uh, it's going to make the Bucks significantly better just with that addition and just with that trade. And Drew Holiday, one of the absolute rare guys that you could have actually traded Eric Bledsoe for and arguably get better defensively. Yeah, I, I think um, Zach Lowe probably had the best 
kind of take on it. You know, I mean, uh, not not that Zach was uh, wholeheartedly endorsing the Bucks offseason <laughs> or anything like that, but you know, I think the 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 most important thing, especially if you're if you're looking at this from the positive perspective for the Bucks, was you know he said last year the Bucks closing five was you know or the, uh, did the, the five yeah. that you would yeah, yeah the, the five that you would say you know all right playoff game closing five close game who is it it's Giannis Middleton question mark question mark question mark right uh, you know you figured Bledsoe was probably playing but was Eric Bledsoe going to be a guy you trusted e you know George Hill almost became like the default, like, well, I, I hope George Hill's in there, but he's in there mainly because you can't <laughs> trust Bledsoe. And then obviously Brooke Lopez, I mean, we love Brooke Lopez, but again, matchup wise, maybe, maybe Brooke Lopez isn't in, in, in those situations. And obviously Wes Matthews um, probably deserved to be in more of those games, especially against the heat, but uh, with Bud not trusting, you know, his, his ability to dribble a basketball <laughs> slash do anything offensively. Um, you know, he found himself on the bench um, more than I think maybe we, we would have expected. So going from two, two guys and three question marks to three guys that are <laughs> legitimate, you know, all-star caliber players and one being an MVP um, that, that is, that is certainly some measure of progress for the reasons that you were, you were just mentioning with Drew Holiday, just being that guy that, you know, you can trust and rely on and, Again, obviously, Holiday's playoff resume is is not long. Um, but the last time we saw him in the playoffs, you know, he was locking up Damian Lillard. He was scoring forty one points, and I think a you know the clinching game against the Blazers. You know, he's a guy that has uh, shown he's at least not afraid, or you know, um, is going to have sort of a, a conniption if he's in you know a big game or a big series. Which you know, unfortunately, with with Bled is just something we we couldn't rely on. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's obviously the, the big, the big plus. And then I think you kind of alluded to it, right? Like the um, two dimensions, I think the, the intangibles, the, the fact that, you know, you lose Hill and Bledsoe, you naturally worry a little bit from a culture perspective where you're losing there. I mean, Bledsoe certainly a guy that I think a lot of people liked. He had a really close relationship with, with Chris Middleton Hill, obviously a guy that everyone respected, you know, great locker room guy, great community guy. Um, Holiday is really a rare guy that, um, you know, I mean, former, what, what, what was it? The J Walter, did he win the J Walter Kennedy? And he, I think he yeah. basically the, like essentially the teammate of the year award a couple of years ago. And a guy that, that, um, you know, is just league wide, you know, love, you know, kind of one of those, your favorite players, favorite player type guy. Um, someone that, you know, Durant and others, you know, everybody has respect for what he does on both ends of the court and the type of person he is. So, um, so that's a plus. But then I think as we get into, lineups i think the most interesting dimension of of drew is kind of what his defensive versatility which i think is the big bonus that he brings over blood so you know like is is he a lot better at defending natural point guards than eric Bledsoe? i don't know that i'd say that um but the problem is you know eric Bledsoe isn't going to go lock up um you know a wing right eric Bledsoe's not going to go lock up bigger players or you know i mean kevin durant says that Drew Holiday is a guy that, you know, he, <laughs> he notices when he plays against him, right? Like Eric Bledsoe's not bothering Kevin Durant, right? So, um, so I think that's, that's a big differentiator as well, that essentially Holiday gives you, he, he can kind of defend like Bledsoe or defend like Wes Matthews to some extent. I don't think he's, as, he's not as strong as Wes, as Wes is. Um, you know, I think he, he's not going to have maybe the same ability to stop like a Kawhi or, um, or LeBron uh, as Wes could. 
And although Wes also, I think, especially in that second match with LeBron last year, had had some more problems. Um, but he can give you a surprising level of capability shifting from, you know, one to three and at times even guys that you might call fours. So that obviously is hugely valuable because it gives you flexibility to start different types of players next to him. And I think that to me is probably the most interesting question heading into training camp, which is, you know, who ultimately is the starting, um, call it two guard, let's say, um, alongside holiday with West gone. Um, you know, we know who the other four starters are. Um, is it going to be Dante? Is it going to be, um, you know, you could make the argument that, well, you could start DJ Augustine even, um, you can make the argument, well, start Brent Forbes, like he started in San Antonio. Cause you just want a shooter, low volume kind of shooter type guy. Um, or you could even argue Tory Craig, right? Like basically the West defensive replacement, um, who could give Chris Middleton some cover, uh, in ways that, you know, he's bigger than, than Drew. So, um, so yeah, so I think there's a lot of very versatility that um, Drew enables you to have, and he lets you do different things offensively and defensively um, with with your lineup options. But we will we'll get to that in a moment. So I do want to move on to DJ Augustine next. I, I think a really interesting signing for a number of reasons. Before I do, I, I have to tease: we have got an episode coming up tomorrow with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans, and he went in depth into Drew Holiday in what he can do, what his strengths are, and also some of the weaknesses. It was really fascinating chat to try and uh, figure out where I see him working on this Bucks lineup. But, you know, the, the one thing I thought about Drew Holiday, because there is a lot of talk about the fact that he can slide up to guard wings and as you said as someone as, as crazy as Kevin Durant he's done a decent job in the past and I think that that's a strength of Drew Holiday particularly in switching lineups but I just couldn't help but think about Jimmy Butler and the fact that Bud clearly for whatever reason and maybe it cost you re-signing Wesley Matthews we don't know that for sure but clearly he was looking for more offensive versatility with Wesley Matthews on the bench in that playoff series and I just, I just think if you had Drew Holiday in that lineup, Jimmy Butler's not going to do what he did, particularly in that, uh, in, in that comeback game, in the close games that he had, and even game one where he went off in the fourth quarter. It's just not going to happen to that extent where he is cooking Chris Middleton time and time and time again with Drew Holiday in the lineup. So again, I think you touched on it. We'll get to the lineups, but if you think about Drew Holiday, Torrey Craig, Chris Milton, Giannis, Brook Lopez defensive lineup. I mean, my goodness, like that, that is a pretty terrifying uh, thing on def- defense when you look, when you talk about already this team being the number one defensive team over the, the last couple of years. But DJ Augustine, uh, the contract, look, we, I think we mentioned it the other day. Essentially, they've dusted off the old Ersan contract. Uh, three, three years, 21 million, the third year, uh, non-guaranteed or team option, I, I think it is. So look, essentially a two-year deal for DJ Augustine, already 33 years old. And Augustine is, is just a solid basketball player. He will shoot a, well, over his career, he shot a really good clip from three, around 38%, down here last year at around 34%. Hopefully that's not a sign of things to come. He's not an elite athlete. He's, he's not really elite at anything, but he just does things well. And the thing that I do like about him is it's not through lack of effort. I mean, you know what he's going to bring to the table. He's more than capable as a pick-and-roll player on offense. The question mark will certainly be how can you hide him defensively if he is going to be the guy in closing lineups. Uh, but how do you see DJ Augustine fitting? Uh, again, I, I think a little bit of an overpay, but if you look at the market across the league, everyone got overpaid. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the hard part. I mean, you know, to, to criticize the, the signing, you know, there's usually two, you know, there's two dimensions, right? The contract or the, just the, the player, right? Did you pick the wrong player or did you not pay him the right amount of money, right? Um, I think with DJ, you look at the other point guards that would have been available in free agency and look, there, there's nobody that's like, I think like some home run type, type option that you would have been like thrilled with. Um, yeah. So, and, and, and I mean, we've seen, especially from the Bucks side, you know, we saw it in the first round. I mean, he, he really hurt the Bucks at times <laughs> in that first round playoff series um, with the magic. And, you know, he's a guy that has been a good spot up shooter offensively. And weirdly, um, you know, our RPM, ESPN's RPM metric, <laughs> there were two, there were two very, very, if you look at the, the, uh, the ESPN RPM metrics, and again, this is why, you know, you can't ever treat any single stat, you know, as like be all end all. Um, but they had DJ Augustine somehow he was the fourth highest rated defensive <laughs> RPM among all point guards, which makes no sense. Um, the other one that always struck me as just totally bizarre was, uh, Duncan Robinson had the same defensive RPM as Giannis, which is Giannis has, has a great defensive RPM that says more about Duncan Robinson having a bizarrely high number than, than anything else. So, I mean, I think typically what you're, all that means is that those guys were on pretty good, they were on good defensive teams and they happened to be probably in lineups that just did well, or, you know, the other teams happened to miss three point shots when they were on the floor for, you know, no, for no, no real strong reason. But, um, so at a at a minimum, we can say that DJ Augustine uh, last year, at least did not, uh, you know, his team did not get cooked with him on the court, which is positive, but obviously he is an offensive first player. You signed him because of what he can do as a, a shooter and a pick and roll creator. And, you know, a guy just to kind of keep those second unit defenses honest. Um, I think he is net net a um, probably a, like a wash in a regular season perspective compared to George Hill. I yeah. think in the playoffs, he's, um, you know, a net negative in terms of, you know, comparing your, your essentially your backup point guard and, you know, not to kind of tip my hand. I, I, I think he will come off the bench just because mm-hmm. who else is coming off the bench is the Bucks point guard. Um, you know, just from a rotational perspective, it would just be hard, harder rotation wise to start essentially your only two point guards and then try to do, you know, kind of funky stuff with, with your other guys off the bench. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't want to say it's the, the, the inverse of, of the holiday blood. So thing, cause I don't, I don't think, I don't think Augustine will be unplayable in the playoffs or something like that. That said is DJ Augustine going to be like, you know, the net positive that helps win you a playoff series. I think he can win you playoff games, okay? Because he can he could get hot or have offensive nights where you know he'll he'll just really kind of spark you, right? But um, you know, is he going to be throughout a sixteen game, you know, sixteen having to win sixteen games to win a championship? Is DJ Augustine, you know, series after series, going to be one of those driving forces behind that? That I would say we should be very skeptical of, just because again, his size is going to obviously cause issues in certain matchups um against you know certain lineups um and again not necessarily going to be you know against every team um but that there is going to be some trade-offs there and and you're going to need him to perform at a very high level offensively um in order to make up for that so um you know i will i'll say this uh as much as i distance myself from eric name and dean maniat's uh (laughs) dean dj augustine fan clubbiness um, I'm happy that we at least don't have to be on the business end of DJ Augustine killing the bucks, which always seemed to happen. Um, but, uh, but we'll see again, I think regular season wise, you know, he'll be hopefully more than adequate. Hopefully his age doesn't start to show. 
Um, but uh, on the other hand, you know, I just worry once you get to the playoffs, was he a guy that will look back and say, yeah, he didn't really, you know, he was a signing that didn't really help you enough in, uh, in that kind of playoff type, type environment. But, but again, we'll, we'll see kind of how that shakes out. I saw someone tweet this out and I couldn't help but laugh, but DJ Augustine played for the Charlotte Bobcats under Larry Brown. That's how long he's been in the league. Uh, the Bobcats <laughs> were actually a thing and he played for the Bobcats. I'm going to have to ask him about that when I, when I get the, uh, the opportunity. But yeah, he's a, he's a fine player. And, and I've said this uh, multiple times now. The difference, certainly score differential and particularly with the Heat game when you think about how close these games were down the stretch, uh, certainly the Toronto series, we know that game three in particular, but there was close games there where the Bucks were well and truly in it, including game six in Toronto. What they needed was some guys that could knock down open threes. And that's that honestly could have swung those series, just having some guys that could hit some threes. Augustine's made a career of doing that. So you hope that the 2019-20 season was just a down year and in the playoffs, do you expect him, as you said, to take over games? Not necessarily, but if he hits you three or four uh, open threes in a playoff game, that could be enough to swing the results. So that's probably what I'm looking for in DJ Augustine. Speaking of that. And, and we did, you know, he, Hey, uh, game one of the 2019 uh, first round against the Raptors, he literally won them. He literally won them a game in Toronto, hit a big three um, to, to win that game. And, and that's, that's probably the skill set that he has, which, you know, the bucks lack the most because even George Hill was not, I mean, I mean, the guy loved the league in three point shooting, but he was not a guy that, you know, was, give him an inch yeah. and he'll, he's pulling up, uh, you know, uh, on a pick and roll and, and, and burying it, right? Like he was more of a rhythm spot up type guy. Um, and, and I don't think any of us, you know, think he's going to shoot 48% year after year. He's a, he's a very good career, you know, 38% three point shooter, which I think is, is, uh, you know, Augustine's not, um, a guy that's like, he's not like a 40% career three point shooter. He's, he, you know, he's a cup below that for sure. Um, but has been a good spot up three point shooter and, um, you know, has at least shown some ability to play that kind of pick and roll, pull up, keep you honest type game, which certainly Bledsoe lack, but, but even Hill, um, you know, I think was not the most creative pick and roll guard. I think he never really was a guy that sort of drove to, to like set up his role, man. He was a guy who sort of pick and rolled to, to get his own shot or kick it out, which, you know, Bledsoe to his credit actually developed pretty good chemistry with Giannis as far as hitting those pocket passes with Giannis coming down the lane. Um, which again got harder and harder in the playoffs, especially as teams, you know, took Bledsoe's you know own ability to get his shot um, less seriously. So, yeah, we'll see with DJ. Good news is, it's, quote unquote, only two years guaranteed. <laughs> um, but you know, this is this is part of the challenge. I mean, the, the recurring theme here with all these guys that the Bucks signed. Um, you know, if you go into the summer and you want to make a trade for a higher, you know, more expensive player. Um, you know, these guys are not going to be as appealing because they're not expiring contracts, right? I mean, you know, do you have a team that that really wants to, you know, uh, 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 you know, like at the deadline, right? Like, would you have teams that really want DJ Augustine and Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes and all these guys who have player options? No. I guess you could say, well, you have, play, you have, you have expiring contracts next year. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, that's obviously premised on the idea of these guys being good enough. And then the downside of player option is, well, if they play well, then they're probably going to opt out, which is what we saw with Wes Matthews. And again, if a player is, you know, really underpaid, you're, you're fine with that, right? Wes, I think, was fine to give him the player option because he was clearly, you know, signing a blow market deal. But with some of these other deals, obviously, like DJ, um, you know, him being non-guaranteed is, is good, but he's got two years guaranteed. And 
you know, we'll get into these other contracts because there's sort of some similar dynamics. Brent Forbes, I don't know how much you have to add here. I don't think there's a lot to talk about in regards to Brent Forbes. He's a fine player, basically started every single game. I think uh, I don't have it up now. I'm a a bad podcast host, but I think he started 62 out of 63 games for the Spurs last season, shot over 40% from three. Uh, He's a great shooter and he will knock down shots. And anyone that that shoots over 40% from three across the course of a season, you know, is is a knockdown shooter from the outside. Uh, doesn't bring a lot defensively, isn't necessarily a big guy. And if you have checked my mentions or maybe your own mentions on Twitter, Frank, or any of the listeners out there, Spurs fans pretty much unanimously have said, happy for that guy to go. Have fun with Brent Forbes. Can't play him in any lineups that actually mean anything in a close game. Well, what I've said from the start is, I mean, let's be honest, the Bucks have more talent around Brent Forbes that they're going to be able to put in lineups than the Spurs did at this point in time. And also you're getting him on the minimum. So I don't think anyone out here is expecting that you're assigning Bryn Forbes to a minimum and he's going to win you a title. He's a shooter. The Bucks targeted shooters. They got one here. Yeah, I, I would. I, and there's a, if you guys want to read an article, I, I retweeted the other day or just tweeted at the other day. Um, just Google Bryn Forbes pounding the rock, um, <laughs> the pounding the rock uh, SB Nation's first site. Um, they had a good kind of summary of, of, you know, basically it was a retrospective, like, okay, should the Spurs re-sign him or not? Um, and then that, that was kind of what you were getting at, which is great shooter, you know, um, but I guess some of it is, con- you know, specifically concerning for the Bucks, obviously, and some of it's maybe more circumstantial of what kind of was going on with the Spurs. You know, he was, I think the perspective was kind of like, well, he's basically, and I'll, I'll invoke this name because Kane Pittman's on the pod. Uh, Patty Mills. He's basically like Patty Mills, except worse at everything. Thank you. Uh, you I, was, I was starting maybe, to get a little bit concerned there for a bit, Frank. I'm glad you finished that while. sentence. Yeah, been a, been a while since we had a Patty Mills uh, reference. Um, shout out to the Australian hero. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's he's basically maybe a comparable shooter as Patty Mills, similar at least, but but not as good offensively overall as Patty Mills, and defensively just doesn't bring certainly as as much as Patty Mills does. And so you know, I mean, you look at the fact that they've got Patty Mills. They've got Derek White. They've got DeJounte Murray. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got just a lot of dudes um, that, you know, are, are more of a priority for them and don't bring uh, some of the same, you know, trade-offs, especially defensively, um, as Forbes does. And they can do more with the ball in terms of dribbling and, and facilitating an offense. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, Forbes is absolutely a role player. Um, probably not surprising maybe that – uh, Bud would want a guy that got 60 some starts from pop last year. Um, so I think the question is, you know, how does Bud use him? And, you know, it's a common concern is like kind of with Connaughton, it's like, well, you know, you got to put these guys in positions to succeed. And with Connaughton, I think, you know, the way he was used defensively against certain, in certain situations, I think made Pat look worse than he was. Um, or at least exposed maybe some of his limitations in ways that maybe weren't really fair to him. And I think with Forbes, it's going to be very interesting because similarly, you know, how do you put him in a position where you're not exposing him to the kinds of issues that Spurs fans kind of got used to seeing him exposed to? Um, and, you know, the on-off numbers last year with Forbes were really bad. Um, and there weren't, they weren't as bad. You look at like his um, kind of, you know, RPM, RAPM type stuff was not nearly as bad in that regard. Um, keep in mind, he was starting with DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> so, you know, there was a collective issue the last two years, really, 
with DeRozan and, and Aldridge and the Spurs being better with their bench units than with their starters. And so, um, you know, perhaps some of that was, you know, not just a Forbes issue, but uh, an issue with the fact that, you know, those their, their star players were sort of empty calorie type guys to, to an extent as well. Um, but look, I mean, you know, Forbes is, he has a certain skill set that I think is very useful for a team like the Bucks. But, um, you know, as you're saying, like that means, you know, is, is he, is he going to see minutes in the last six minutes of a playoff game? Because if he is, then I think you obviously have concerns that again, you're putting guys in a position where they can get exposed. And, um, and, you know, again, he's, he's a cheap guy. I think, I think he actually is getting a, from what I understand, he's, he's getting basically sort of a, a piece of the mid-level sort of kind of the remaining piece that DJ Augustine didn't get. Yeah, um, so he'll get a little bit more than the, uh, the minimum. minimum yeah. Um, and of course a player option because everybody gets a player option. Uh, the bucks are the, you know, Oprah Winfrey of giving out player options. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see what that translates into. I mean, again, at that price point, I mean, it's not a huge deal, um, but, um, but we'll see kind of, kind of what that means for, for the bucks. So, uh, so yeah, Forbes, I'd say is int- I'm very interested to see how he integrates and how well the bucks can sort of hide his, shortcomings um and i think a lot of that is going to have to do with the role um and and kind of work what spots they put him in because again if he's playing next to drew holiday and chris and Giannis, you know maybe you don't really notice those issues so much but the flip side is um you know that also means uh if you're putting you know if, he, if he's seeing minutes with starters or even starting games um you know it's it's kind of hard to hide him especially compared to wes right who defensively you weren't hiding West. You were putting him front and center, right, with what he could do defensively. And obviously with Forbes, you can't do that. So I think this is going to be really fascinating, actually, with Bryn Forbes, because I think, and I'm very curious to see how Bud uses this player, if at all, pick 60 in the draft, if you, if you just purely look at the role that you think that they're going to play, uh, Bryn Forbes has clearly done it in the NBA for a number of seasons, but Bryn Forbes is 6'2", Sam Merrill 6'5". And Sam Merrill isn't your usual rookie, by the way. He's already 24 years old, so he is a little bit more mature. Again, a really knockdown shooter. And just from talking to Sam Bassini, he says, listen, he, he's not, he's not going to be a lockdown defender in the NBA. That's just not what he's going to do, but he will give you effort. And he, he's not going to be someone that you're just going to blow by and, he, and everyone's going to target. And he's going to be a liability defensively. So I, I expect, obviously, Brent Forbes is going to be in the rotation. If he does become a guy that, that is a liability, I am at least a little bit curious I'm curious, as far as pick 60s go in the draft and as, as far as I can possibly allow my mind to consider what a pick 60 could do on a contender, Sam Merrill is at least an interesting draft pick for the Bucks as well. And I'm curious to see uh, how Mountain West Luka Doncic fits into the Milwaukee Bucks organization. <laughs> uh, Tori Craig, Frank, uh, another interesting signing. I, I think as far as guys that were still available at this point in time on minimum deals, I think overwhelmingly probably pretty positive response to picking up this guy again, much loved in Denver. And I don't think a guy that they wanted to let go uh, for anyone that missed the podcast yesterday, we had TJ McBride. He covers the nuggets uh, on a daily basis over in Denver. And he gave the really in-depth analysis to what you can expect from Torrey Craig and, and from everything he said, the nuggets uh, obviously upset to have to let him go, but given the roster squeeze and Jeremy Grant and everything else that went on, it was just a necessary move that they had to make. Uh, another fine signing, a, a flawed player, no doubt about that, but a guy defensively that again, gives you a little bit of versatility. 
Yeah, and again, you wish he was a better three-point shooter yeah. to so that he could really fill more of that Westboro. Um, you know, he's been in that 32-33% range, um, you know, so kind of in that just good enough to be dangerous sort of, sort of range of three-point shooting. Um, Bucks three-point shooting range. Bucks, Bucks three-point shooting range, right? <laughs> Safely in that Connaughton, <laughs> DiVincenzo uh, uh, range of, of, of accuracy. Um but yeah, I mean, with his size, you know, six seven two twenty, you know, he's a guy that that the Nuggets have used sort of as that like, oh shit, you know, LeBron's killing us. Put him on there, you know, d- different kind of top level players. Obviously, the Clippers, Clipper series, um, a guy that you can at least put out there. And again, I, I always think of it as like with West too is sort of like, you know, can that guy eat innings and and give you honest minutes against that guy so that at least you're not, you know, if the guy beats you, he beats you, but but you're not just hemorrhaging you know uh, and and having to totally overhelp and whatever which again bucks sometimes overhelp even when they have good defenders on, on players but um but yeah i think craig's definitely at that price point at a minimum a legitimate minimum price point without you know uh, multiple player options <laughs> uh he's actually a uh i think a, a a guy that i like kind of taking a flyer on um you know nick batum is was still out there you know would i have liked yeah. to see maybe nick batum more i think that would have been interesting I don't know what Nick Batum has left. He barely played last year, right? So, you know, if you told me Batum was was toast, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, Craig is – is we, we know he's upright and able to run around on a basketball court physically is okay. Um, so that that's certainly, um, uh, you know, one of those things that, that we might look back on and say, man, they, they should have really kind of tried to make a play for Batum. Um, but we'll see. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Craig is one of those guys who I think – will fall into that, you know, he'll, he'll probably fall out of the rotation at some points, perhaps, um, especially if he's not making shots. Um, I think him and Connaughton, you know, are, are kind of interesting. Um, Craig, I think is more legitimately good at defense versus Pat, you know, is a more highlight reel type defender. Um, so I think that'll be sort of interesting to watch those two guys get used, but, but obviously, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of the unfortunate thing here where, you know, with Wes, obviously he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a Brent Forbes level shooter, but he was a pretty good shooter, right? And and he could and you know his, he also didn't take just easy threes, right? West would take long threes, pull up threes. I mean, you know, shot quality didn't have to be super high for him to hit a decent percentage. Um, and unfortunately, now you're sort of splitting his skill set um, yeah. between Forbes and and Craig. And you know, again, you can't play six on five, so um, you have to be from a coaching perspective, you have to figure out when you use those guys and kind of how they fit in the rotation and Obviously, you're, you know, you could say, well, we're deeper, but it's like, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know that that's, that's necessarily a strong selling point. I'd rather have Wes Matthews than either of those guys, but it is what it is. And, um, you know, certainly Torrey Craig will probably get open looks <laughs> in Milwaukee, especially if he's on the court with Giannis. And, you know, is this, this might be an opportunity for him to, to increase his value. And, you know, um, certainly if he wants to have the year that he breaks through and hits 36% from three, uh, now would be a great time to have it. Bobby Portis, one of the interesting signings for the Bucks. Uh, I think as we look at the depth chart, clearly uh, there is some holes, I guess, or, or just not enough bodies maybe in the, in the front court there and certainly at the backup five position. So I think Bobby Portis essentially becomes the backup center in a lot of these lineups. I expect him to split 
minutes between the four and the five. Uh, the funny part of all this is, does DJ Wilson find himself in the rotation? I'm not 100% sure. Jordan Wara as well, the rookie who spoke yesterday and declared himself the best shooter in the draft, which I, I love to hear. I love to hear that confidence. Maybe he's a guy that, that comes into the rotation, but it's going to be interesting to see. We'll touch on it at the end, how these lineups mix and match. But Bobby Portis, look, defensively, major question marks there. And that's why I think it's kind of an interesting signing. I would not have picked him as a guy that the Bucks would have targeted, but it is important to note uh, he has six games playoff experience. And uh, I, I bring that up because uh, Mark Berman of the New York Post said that Bobby Portis had zero games playoff experience. And Bobby quickly snapped back on Twitter and said, I actually have six, you dickhead. Some reporter you are. So <laughs> I want Bobby Portis to know... <laughs> that I understand that you've got six games playoff experience, Bobby. I am not here to piss you off before you even land in Milwaukee. Yeah, don't, don't mess with Bobby Partis. Um, I, was I don't want any part of those of, eyes looking at me, I, I can I, tell you. Yeah, I was cruising around YouTube for some, you know, just wanting to see some videos of, of kind of the new Bucks players. And uh, Bobby Portis, like, top five dirty mo- dirty plays was, <laughs> was one of the YouTube compilations that I found. Um, yeah, he's got... He's got some some dirty. It kind of reminds me of. Um, remember Drew Gooden? Drew Gooden had oh, yeah. some really yeah. like lazy, dirty type type of fouls, uh-huh. um, and and Portis definitely has some of those where like he just literally like you know swings and hits a guy in the head, and it's like I don't know that he was trying to hit a guy in the head, but he clearly was not not trying to hit a guy in the head, <laughs> um, and and some some pretty scary moments. So uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to be quote unquote. Uh, crazy guy who you know. Infor- I don't. I don't know if you call that. In- I don't know that. I, I hesitate to call that being like an enforcer per se. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if the Bucks need somebody to go, like you know, tackle somebody after a dirty foul on Giannis, I I think we all know you know who's who's getting tapped on the shoulder for for that job. Um, I will but, say yeah, this. I- I'll say I was a little bit disappointed in, in Robin Lopez. Uh, not even one real fight or crazy moment from Robin Lopez in Milwaukee I, at the start of the year. I think one of our over and unders were yeah, ejections. ejections, right? And he just he was he was a big letdown. Robin Lopez, who by the way, uh, I, I just just to quickly jump in here, the details of the contract have come out: seven point three million dollars in Washington. Good for him, which is uh, crazy. Which is crazy. Love it. <laughs> Love it for Robin. Yeah, but that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, do the Wizards? Are the Wizards like do they do they have to play Joel Embiid like fifteen times a season or something like that? Like, do they are they anticipating a first round playoff matchup with the Sixers? Like, I, yeah. I don't know, but um, I do remember remember when Robin got dunked on by uh, was it Jared? Oh, Culver? yes, did, did, yes, he followed him down the court. <laughs> I don't, I don't think he got run for that though. But no, I do recall no. us talking about whether whether that Robin would one. just like. Yeah randomly go off the handle in sort of a cartoonish way and it didn't didn't really happen but um yeah so i I don't know i i agree i mean you know if you're talking about who's going to come in and be the center when uh when brooke goes to the bench i think it's going to be Bobby portis i mean ironically you know you talk about the the bucks uh eastern conference playoff run two years ago i mean they didn't have another center other than yeah lopez in that run right i mean it was Pretty much Giannis, Urson, Miritich until he <laughs> until he got benched, um, and and Brooke. So it's it's actually ironically not totally out of out of you know sort of historical precedent that the Bucks would you know be going a bit thinner in terms of true centers. Um, so I I don't know. We'll we'll have to see um, kind of how much of a trade off there is. Um, you know 
I think playing, watching Toronto go super small in that like Celtic series where like both teams are basically playing, you know, nobody bigger than six, eight, uh, six, nine. Um, I think, you know, and then you watch the way that he played against the box where they didn't really play their centers much. Um, you know, I think there was this natural question of, okay, so is Giannis going to have to really be center a lot of the time. Right. Um, but you know, again, I think the bucks have to flex more towards experimenting with that and more importantly playing differently when they do that, you know, like if, if they're just going to zone drop Bobby Portis, like they did a Lopez brother. I mean, that's one of those like subtle things that I'm going to be looking for early in the season or throughout the season. Because to me, that's one of those things which would tell me that, man, Bud just thinks that they got unlucky. <laughs> or, yeah. or Bud just thinks that they can flip a switch and play a little bit differently in the playoffs without practicing it. Because that's what I'm most concerned with. Giannis and, and Portis to some extent, too. I mean, I remember he was a prospect. A lot of the appeal of him, I mean, he was a guy I wanted the Bucks to draft when they picked Rashad Vaughn. It was shocking that he fell to them and they didn't pick him. Because he was a guy that was like, oh, he played this, you know, he would press and play all over the floor and he was a motor guy and all this. And you thought, okay, he's going to be a really useful, switchable, potentially big man. And then he comes to the NBA and he just has never really been that. And he's been on bad teams. Right. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to judge anybody by how they look on the Knicks necessarily. Um, but to me, that's one of the big, that's one of the big questions for me about, you know, for Bud and this coaching staff in this system, to the extent that, you know, it's the same system or different. Um, that that's one of the big questions for me is okay. You put you know you, your big, big your your big man signing this summer was a guy that doesn't have a good reputation. What are you going to do with him? How are you going to make the most of him? And again, I think Portis has the tools to be fine, but what's he actually going to look like? And I think to be honest, um, you know, DJ Wilson is the obvious guy that might get moved at some point during this season as an expiring contract. Um, and slash maybe as a way to shed some salary. But I mean, this is a, to me, this is a great opportunity for DJ Wilson to actually go out and win minutes because we know that DJ is certainly proven to be a more versatile defender than Bobby Portis. Um, I don't think either of them is going to, you know, bruise with Joel Embiid or anything like that. But, you know, we've seen, we've seen DJ. I mean, he goes and he'll defend anybody. He's not going to, you know, he's not super strong, but um, but his, his mobility and everything like that, I think puts him in a position that he can do some, some things that, you know, Portis certainly can't. So, um, so I, again, I mean, I, I hesitate to put too much on DJ Wilson <laughs> after what happened last year, but, um, you know, this, this is his last bite at the apple with the Bucks, And I mean, if he's buried on the bench this year, then I mean, what, what, what's going to become of his MB? NBA career, right? I mean, this is, this is really the, um, you know, the, the pivot point of his NBA career more generally. And uh, if he doesn't win minutes or can't compete with Bobby Portis, then I would say that speaks very poorly of, of his future more broadly in the NBA. So it's a, it's a good opportunity for him. I mean, you know, I think Portis, I like his fit offensively. Um, he's not going to get post up touches. So it's pretty much just going to be offensive rebounds and shooting threes, which he was good at. Um, so I think that that can actually be a nice fit. Um, I think he's going to stretch the floor more legitimately than than like uh, you know Robin Lopez for sure. Um, but uh, you know we'll have to see defensively again, kind of how uh, how he translates. And you know at the end of the day, it's like Augustine, right? If you spend your mid level and your BAE on guys that ultimately are 
are hard to play in the fourth quarter of playoff games, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough because right now, you know, you've structured your roster such that Bobby Portis probably should be getting a few minutes, you know, at least at the start of a fourth quarter or certainly in the second half of a key playoff game. And if he can't be trusted to do that, then, you know, that's obviously why I think a lot of us were, were concerned about, you know, I mean, seeing Mo Harkless go for the BAE to Miami, I thought to myself, I mean, different types of players. Harkless is a, you know, kind of a combo forward slash wing versus Portis. But, um, you know, I would have rather had Mo Harkless for that number and then try to find a cheap big man, right? Which we can always find cheap big men. So we will see. Uh, Portis, just to, again, uh, finish off here on, on what position he can play, 46% of his minutes with the Knicks last season came at center. And the year before in Washington, the 77% of his minutes actually came uh, at the five as well. So, listen, the, the one thing I'll say, when you look at the guys that the Bucks added, and I know we all think defensively, who can you play in the fourth quarter of a playoff game? I 100% understand that. But the Bucks have had major, major issues scoring, particularly with rotation guys and guys they can bring off the bench. So if there's one thing that you can say that they targeted, which, you know, John Horse said he was doing. He was targeting guys that can score and guys that can shoot. They've added those guys. So that's, that's all you can really say about what they've done here. And Bobby Portis, it kind of, uh, I don't know why this is surprising to me, but uh, just everyone in the Bucks is so old that you add a 25-year-old and you're like, wow, this is, this is kind of remarkable. I mean, he's only one year older than Sam Merrill, <laughs> who they drafted with the 60th yeah. pick in the draft. And he yeah. is legitimately a good shooter. And I, I think the one thing that you will see from Bobby Portis in, these, in this Bucks lineup is that he only attempted 2.83s per game with the Knicks last year in over 20 minutes per game. That's, I don't think that's going to be the case in Milwaukee. He is more versatile offensively, and he'll score. He scored double digits uh, points per game over the last four seasons of his career. So he can score defensively. I have no idea what to expect. But uh, again, I, I think that the Bucks have added some guys that at least can do a little bit more offensively. We'll see what impact that has on the other end. Did you want to talk about, uh, and we can talk about starters. I mean, I, I can just say it straight up. I, I think that DiVincenzo will probably start. Uh, the, there's a case that yeah. could be made for Bryn Forbes for sure, uh, but I, I don't think DJ Augustine will start. I think based on what we've seen with Bud wanting to have a legitimate backup point guard with George Hill, he, he slid DiVincenzo up into the starting lineup. I think that's going to be the case. So DiVincenzo or Forbes would be my pick. But I, I'm more interested in closing lineups or, or any other particular lineups that, that really interest you with the, the new mix that they do have. Yeah, I think um, I, I would agree. I think Dante slides into the starting role. Um, and I, I think um, in terms of, of what, uh, what that means for your closing lineups, um, again, are there nights where you can hide a Bryn Forbes and he's shooting really well and you want to keep that shooting mm -hmm. on the floor? Yeah. There could certainly be nights where he's in that closing lineup. Um, but again, is that in a playoff game? Probably not. Right? <laughs> I'm, right. I'm going to say probably Bryn Forbes is not closing playoff games. Um, on the flip side, I think if they are playing teams that really have a lot of you know wing uh, size and, and depth, um, I could see Craig slotting in mm -hmm. and and playing that role. Right? Like if you're playing a LeBron um, or uh, or or a Heat or a Miami Heat potentially, right? I mean, you could try to put Drew Holiday on. Jimmy Butler, but you may want to put a Tory Craig on on him as well. Um, I think that that could also be a look that we see. And the flip side is too is if Giannis is is playing center in these lineups, then you know you have to add another wing player essentially to make it work. Or you put in DJ Augustine at, at point guard. You know Drew goes to 
the two and then Chris's, you know, potentially the four and who's, who's at that three spot, right? Is it Craig? Is it Connaughton? Is it, is it some other guy? Right. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting dynamic. Again, I, I'll say this, like, I'm not like excited about who that fifth guy is in yeah. those lineups. Um, cause I don't think there's like some home run option there. Um, and uh, I think the interesting thing to think about, you know, last year, I don't think any of us are fans of like the hockey line, hockey, uh, shift <laughs> sort of approach. Um, but did do that a fair bit last year. Um, you know, even in the playoffs, we saw that at times. Um, and I think, you know, last year, I guess, let's see. So the, the hockey lineup would have been essentially, uh, George Hill, Dante, um, at center Robin. Um, and then at the other two spots, you know, late in the year would have been Marvin at the four and I guess Connaughton at the three. Does that sound right? If you're doing a, 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 a second, yeah. like a six through 10, the second five, right. Am I forgetting anybody? Um, I think this year, you know, what is the equivalent of that grouping? Um, and this is not, not to say that that's like, you're going to lean on those guys for big minutes in as a group, but just from a depth perspective, who is that second group? Well, DJ slides in for George. Um, if Dante is starting, then I guess probably Bryn Forbes is probably <laughs> at, at the two, which again, you know, if you're trying to play um, DJ as a backup point guard, I think DJ plus Bryn Forbes is a pretty, yeah, you're in trouble. Unideal, unideal, <laughs> let's say uh, pairing to, to be running with, with any consistency together. So you're going to have to really stagger those guys, I think. Um, and then the rest of the lineup, you know, probably at the three spot, I guess, you know, again, Connaughton or Craig um, at that spot. And then, um, you know, at the four or five, uh, you know, you really, again, you have very little depth at, at the four or five spots. So Portis is called the five. And then, you know, I mean, is, is DJ at the four in that scenario, right? Are, are, you, are we going to see DJ and, and Bobby Portis even play together at times? Um, I think that's possible. I think Tory Craig could see maybe more minutes at the four. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of talking off the top of my head here. So maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but I think probably Craig could be a guy that actually sees minutes at the four in some of these scenarios, just because of his kind of strength and the fact that, you know, you're most worried about a guy just being able to be kind of manhandled defensively, which, you know, again, Craig doesn't have typical like you know, four man size or anything like that, but, but at least against second units, you're, you're a little less concerned there. Um, and again, so there's an easy fix to this. Don't do the five man substitutions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Well, that, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, um, you know, I think you, you plug in Giannis, Chris, <laughs> or Drew Holiday into any of those lineups, and you suddenly start to feel yeah. way better, obviously. And I think the you know the upside is um, that that's a really simple solution, and you hope that Bud <laughs> realizes that that's a simple solution um, because that obviously will make kind of everything a little more. Um, a little more likely, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely feels like a less, like last year, I felt like the bucks were, I want to say deeper than they needed to be, but you felt like, you know, there was a legitimate rotation, like a, you know, I felt like they had a lot of ninth and 10th guys. Yeah. Um, you know, when you looked at Corver or even, you know, Sterling Brown, DJ, well, I mean, keep in mind, Sterling Brown and DJ Wilson were coming in off of improved years. Right. So going into last year, we didn't realize that they would kind of flop the way they did. Um, and not having an opportunity was probably part of why they flopped. Let's be honest. Right. I mean, we, we don't know. It's sort of a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. I don't know that they obviously reacted very well to 
the opportunities that they didn't have, but, um, but it was, it was kind of a challenge. Whereas, you know, this year, um, you know, I mean, last year there were no rookies, right? This year you've got two second rounders in Nora and, and Merrill. Um, and so I haven't been talking about them just cause I don't want to assume kind of yeah, anything out sure. of those guys. But again, I mean, when you think about like what's going to be asked of those guys, um, you know, they're not being asked to do much more than, than shoot and put in at least an honest effort defensively. And the one thing we know those guys can do is shoot. Right. So, um, so I actually think it's, it's an interesting position where kind of, as you were alluding to with Merrill, um, you know, I think those guys will get opportunities at some point just because the Bucks don't have the depth as they did last year to really keep, you know, guys like that kind of just completely out of the picture. Um, I think, again, I think those guys probably will probably will get some chances at various points to, to play again. Is Sam Merrill going to start any games? Probably not, but, but, um, but you'll probably see him at some point. Um, and again, I, I, I'm very curious, probably the biggest question to me is just, especially that big, that big grouping, like, you know, do they use, um, Giannis more at center? Do they try to switch more? Do they do kind of some different things with the personnel they have? Um, so that's, that's kind of part of the thing that I'm, I'm most curious about. And again, I don't want to see Bobby Portis and Giannis playing zone drop defense the way I saw Marvin Williams doing that in playoffs. That was just painful. So I think it's by design and it was no shock to me that the Bucks, the two guys that they did take in the second round, just to follow up on your point there, uh, Frank, they took two mature guys that have been in college for a number of years because I think they probably understand that if they get elite shooting and maybe could sprinkle them in with starters in some lineups, maybe they can get a boost out of those guys and they're actually guys that can contribute and just give them more options. So I think that I normally wouldn't look at second-round picks and say they're going to come in and play straight away, but you never know. The Bucks have had some success with that in recent years. Obviously, Brogdon is the extreme example of that. But even Sterling Brown, to an extent, did play some good basketball, as you pointed to, didn't really uh, follow on with that. Uh, just to finish up here, the, the one point that I, I do want to make, and I think that we'll probably go in and talk about Dante more extensively over the next few weeks, because I, I think it's really interesting. The one thing that I don't think has been spoken about enough, as much as the Bogdanovich sign and trade fell through, you did keep Dante DiVincenzo. And I, I think that it's been fascinating to see the trend with Bucks fans who, when the season went down, Dante was the man. He was the X factor. He could potentially be an all-star. And then all of a sudden he's included in a sign and trade, doesn't play well in the bubble. And everyone is fine with moving him on. And, and obviously I'm generalizing here, but his true shooting percentage in January uh, up uh, 62% there. And then February was uh, high 50s as well. 65% in March. I mean, I think it's easy to forget the guy was really trending into becoming a very reliable scorer off the bench in a big role for the Bucks in, in March in particular. He, that Lakers game, I still think about. He was the one guy that was able to keep the Bucks afloat in the third quarter. I think he had 13 points in that period alone. And it's unfortunate. We don't know what impact the time off had on him, but he wasn't the same guy in the bubble. And now, if he comes back and continues to grow again and get better, remember, last year was essentially a rookie season for him coming off playing only 20 games in year one. DiVincenzo is, again, if you get growth out of him, that makes this Bucks team much better. And let's be honest, he's going to get the opportunity. Yeah, and I think you talk about, you know, uh, they obviously tried to use him as a way to swing an upgrade with Bogdanovich, and, and it didn't happen. Um, and the upside is, you know, he has real ability to, to play. He's not just a potential guy. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, you know, like DJ Wilson is sort of at that point where, 
we're going to see which path he goes down. Does he go down the not an NBA player path? Does he go down the like, hey, this guy can actually, you know, give you some rotation minutes path? You know, DJ is sort of that a big step up in terms of, you know, for him, the pivot is, all right, he has two years left on his rookie deal. So from a trade perspective, he's kind of that mixture of, hey, this guy's proven to be a, a pretty good NBA player that you can play right yeah. away. You can play him against good teams. He fits into us like a winning culture. He does lots of different stuff. Um, and he's still dirt cheap, and you got two more years of cost control before you have to extend him. Um, you know, DeAnthony Melton, who's pretty much like a very DiVincenzo type player in many ways, got $35 million over four years uh, because he, he was a former second round pick. So he hit the market early this summer to give you guys an idea of like where might a market for DiVincenzo be. Um, I guess it might actually be, even be a little bit higher for Dante because he's a little bit more of a, you know, former first round pick type type guy. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a big opportunity for him. Does he, you know, because again, Drew Holiday, it, it, I, part of the reason why I've been lower on Dante's sort of ceiling is because I just didn't think he hit with his size. He's not a point guard. He's not that big. So he's not going to guard threes. So he's, he's guarding ones and twos. But if you're starting him next to Bledsoe, that means he's pretty much got to guard the two. He's not going to guard threes. Um, so there's some limitations there. You put him next to Drew Holiday, all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't need to handle the ball all the time. He can do it a little bit, obviously, but the pressure's not on him to create and be like a pick and roll guy. And likewise, defensively, you can put him on the weaker guy in the backcourt. You know, you can put him on a point guard, have him chase around screens. Uh, you can have him guard, shooting guard. Um, and, you know, if, if uh, you know, if, if uh, I, I, th- I imagine Dante will probably guard a lot of point guards if he starts, which I think is okay. I, I think he can handle that. You know, he's got good size and he works really hard. Um, so I think Drew is the kind of guy that actually makes him far more startable than if you're putting him next to Bledsoe, which is where I, I just didn't really see him as a natural fit to start. So this is a really big opportunity for him. And again, as you're sort of alluding to, um, does he turn into, I mean, he could be a guy, you know, his ceiling, I think is that guy who puts up 15, 16 points per game, does a little bit of everything, you know, is a unselfish guy. He gets some passing, um, never, a you know, a, first or second option or anything, but, but could he be, you know, that third, third option in certain lineups or a good fourth option in certain lineups, certainly a good fifth option. Um, you know, that, that I think is the, the question or, you know, maybe he doesn't get better. Maybe he shoots yeah. 29% from three this year, right? Mm-hmm. Does he have that drop off? Um, which in which case, you know, suddenly his valuation plummets and, you know, a year from now, I think if the bucks go into the next off season, Obviously, they're going to want to know what, what ways they can improve depending on what happens this year. Um, you hope that he has increased in value, but he, you know, it, it's a very, uh, it, it's very much could go either way in terms of what his value um, as, an, as a trade asset is going to be a year from now. So you really want him to do well because we're Bucks fans and we want the Bucks to do well. And him being good is, is really helpful. And like we said, he struggled in the bubble, but then actually played really well those last three games against the Heat, which, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people probably forget because, you know, that ended Spirits the way down. it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we weren't really we're not really thinking about the positives from those last three games. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's a guy that if you you know, given his age, you really want him to develop because obviously the Bucks don't have you know a lot of young talent in the pipeline, and obviously Nora and, and Merrill are at least guys that are younger ish. <laughs> at least Nora's Nora's case. Um, so you hope that that they can at least be guys that that become you know NBA caliber players. Um, but Dante, obviously, at this point, is a guy you would bet on who's in that kind of younger younger than Giannis age bracket, which, you know, if they had made that trade, they they would have lost him too. So 
Again, I, I would still rather have Bogdanovich out of that scenario because I know what he is. I, I know that what he can do in the playoffs. But um, Dante is a guy that I, I think could certainly do that too. One, one thing, one last thing to note on him, his numbers as a starter were not nearly as good as they were coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, again, I don't know why Dante can't make three-pointers as a starter <laughs> versus coming off the bench. I think there is an argument that maybe he's a guy who – benefits from playing against second units, maybe playing against starters, obviously, even with better players around him. Um, maybe the trade-off wasn't really there, um, sort of as an opportunistic type of player. But that's certainly something if you start him, you know, I, I would maybe have some concern, right? You're hurting your bench, and is he a guy that maybe isn't going to, for whatever reason, be able to take advantage of, uh, of you know, opposing starting units as much as as he did as a, as a bench guy? So um, we'll see. I. Let me say this. I, I would not be shocked if, you know, I, I would expect Dante probably starts. Would not be surprised at all, especially with injuries, things like that, if we saw, you know, multiple different guys get opportunities um, to start, which last year, obviously, we didn't. It was pretty much Wes, and, and when anybody was hurt, Dante would start, right? Whether it was yeah. Bledsoe, Middleton, Dante was the plug-in starter, um, but Wes was pretty much that, that kind of go-to locked-in guy. We'll kind of see how, how the, that position gets dealt with this year, but um, I'd say certainly um it depends a lot more on what what bud wants because dante does probably the most things pretty well but he's not again probably the ideal piece that you'd fit in but again drew i think also gives him a lot of cover yeah i think the one thing that the bucks have not had over the last couple of years of being a really good team is a reliable scorer off the bench and like I said, in the new year, January, February, March, Dante DiVincenzo was becoming just that. He was averaging double-digit scoring. So if he does stick with the second unit and gets you 13, 14 points a night, that's going to become very, very valuable. Obviously, the three-point shot and the development of that is critical to all of this. But if he becomes that guy, I'm 100% down with that. And the one thing that Dante gives you that Bryn Forbes, Torrey Craig, Bobby Portis, and DJ Augustine don't give you is he can have an impact on both ends of the floor, which separates him uh, from those guys there. But uh, listen, I, I think we've gone through everyone. I think we've broken uh, down everyone uh, in, in a little bit more detail than probably the chaos of the last week allowed us to. But I did mention this at the start. It's a little bit early for you. It's uh, nearly 6 p.m. here over your way, but it is Thanksgiving. Uh, we don't have Thanksgiving over here in Australia. It's, it's not a thing, but I, I do want to get your thoughts about how excited everyone is in the Madden household to sit down together and watch the Houston Texans and Detroit Lions tomorrow. What a game. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's sad because when I was growing up in the 90s, I was a huge Barry Sanders fan. So the <laughs> Thanksgiving always meant a chance to watch Barry Sanders yeah. um, do, do his thing. And I, you know, I, I didn't get to watch necessarily that many Lions games just because they weren't always on TV. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I will do, I guess, I guess I will be. Cause I mean, my, actually my in-laws have had Texan season yeah. tickets, Kane. So, um, they'll probably, that's why I got to get over there, but that's why I got to go over there and yeah. meet the family at some point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so, so we'll see, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'll be doing for, for entertainment tomorrow. I guess maybe that, that football game will be on, but <laughs> I, uh, I'll say this, um, I mean, I am. Uh, I, I feel like every year around this time of year, there people come out and start slandering turkey and saying, you know, oh, don't you don't you, people shouldn't feel obligated to make turkey because it's not that good for Thanksgiving. Hey, I like turkey. Okay, I'm a big turkey I'm happy, guy. I'm happy that turkey is forced upon us for Thanksgiving because I really like it. Now, 
fried turkey is the way to go. Uh, my brother-in-law will not be at Thanksgiving this year. He's the turkey fryer in the family. So I won't, won't be able to enjoy that, but I'll, I'll, whatever. I picked out a 22 pound bird at Whole Foods last night. Cost me way more than I thought turkeys should cost. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to turkey mashed, turkey mashed potatoes. It's pretty much all you, all I need. I don't really need all the other stuff. That's pretty much, I'm, I'm a simple man. So, um, I'm going to make the mashed potatoes tomorrow. That's one of the few things I can make myself. And uh, I'm going to enjoy that turkey and, um, yeah, have a nice sleepy evening probably after I get done eating way too much, uh, way too much of that food. So think of, think of us, Kane. We'll be thinking of you uh, not eating turkey and having a normal Thursday in, uh, down in, uh, in, in Australia. Yeah, it's it's well, it's going to be Friday here as well. It's it's pretty hot. Uh, I'm eyeing off uh, beers after I finish work tomorrow afternoon. Maybe in the in the city. I, I haven't got to Melbourne too often since I've been back in Australia for obvious reasons. So I, I don't know. I'll be having some fun. I'll I'll be doing something. So definitely, I know everyone will want to feel bad for me, but don't feel bad for me tomorrow. I, I will be okay. And I, I'll say this: I'm a big turkey fan as well. At Christmas, obviously. Uh, it's creeping up here quicker than I think any of us thought, but uh, this is one of my favorite things. Christmas, bring the turkey out. We don't get to eat it that often. I enjoy it. I've been in America the last few Thanksgivings, I believe, the last three or four. Maybe last year I wasn't there, but either way, it's always a fun time. So I hope. Can you, you can you easily get can you easily get turkeys in stores at in Australia like uh, like Christmas time, like November December? You can okay. then they then they generally disappear. Yeah. I was, I was talking to my, my coworkers today and a number of my coworkers are based in India. And, uh, I was asking them, I was like, do, you know, do, can you get a Turkey in India easily? And they, they informed me actually one of, one of them who's from India, but he lives in the U S informed me that his family actually is are pulled. They have poultry, a poultry operation in (laughs) India that does actually raise turkeys and sell them. So, uh, I got a very direct answer from someone who knows uh, that, yes, you can get turkeys even in India. So I, I assumed that you could probably get them uh, in Australia as well. Although I will say, uh, back in the '90s, when my I used to go back to Germany to see my my mom's side of the family every Christmas, um, it would be it was very hard because we always do turkey at Christmas as well. Um, yeah, it was very hard to get a turkey located so that we could give our German relatives sort of that taste of a uh, more of an American type of tradition. Mm-hmm. But uh, mean, meanwhile, my my parents in in Milwaukee, uh, they've got wild turkeys just like. Every day I get pictures of wild turkeys and trees on the lawns. They, they just sort of hang out uh, near where my parents live. So, I mean, they, heck, they, my dad could have just gotten out as 22 and, you know, <laughs> taken down the turkey and he wouldn't have had to buy one. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much down for turkey. So bring it on. Bring on Thanksgiving. Well, I say I'm happy for you guys, but as this podcast has been going, my, a good friend of mine back in Milwaukee, Ryan Mader, is sending through Snapchats of all the food that he's preparing right now. And uh, he and his wife, Lauren, who's just uh, pregnant, by the way, they just announced that. So I guess I, sh- I should give them a congratulations on the podcast and their dog, Roger. It looks like they're going to be having a big day of eating tomorrow. So that does make me a little bit jealous, but... Make sure you stay safe, Frank. Uh, I know you're a smart man. You're a mature man. Everything will go well. But uh, I think for everyone, obviously, it's a, it's a strange year. And I don't know, uh, you know what people are doing over there and, and how they're able to hang out with people. But uh, just stay safe, everyone. That's all I can really say here. Yeah. Just sit home and listen to podcasts. You don't have to go to very crowded places. <laughs> Let's say that's probably the best thing to do. 
I'll just have my in-laws here. My, my, uh, uh, it'll be a four of us, five, five of us, including my daughter. So, um, that's, that's enough for now, but, uh, yeah, everyone have a great Thanksgiving and, uh, don't, ref- don't worry about refreshing your phone too much for Giannis news. I, I'm guessing we probably won't get any for another day or two, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully in the next week, I, I, I guess we keep kind of punting it a little bit, but hopefully we'll get, uh, I, I will hopefully we'll get that good news, um, at some point here before camp starts. All right, as you finish this podcast, finish listening to this podcast again, uh, make sure you check out tomorrow. Uh, I have already spoken to my guy at Locked On Pelicans, Jake Madison, all things Drew Holiday, really going deep in, into Drew and what he's going to be able to bring to this Bucks team. So that's a, a really fascinating chat uh, to listen to there. Yesterday, we had the Tory Craig podcast. So make sure you catch up on all of them as you're relaxing on Thanksgiving. Uh, stay safe. Uh, for Frank and myself, we'll catch you guys next time.